beautiful people. I'm Heat, host of Ordinary Chaos, where we explore the interesting side of ordinary. We often see famous people as interesting and not famous people as not interesting. But the truth is, we're all interesting if you ask the right questions. Today's guest is what I call the person next door, a regular person whose daily life might look something like our own. Everyone's path is interesting, and Megan's is no exception. Let's get to it. Heat here today with a person next door. Today's guest is Megan Sutherland, and Megan loves dogs. What do you love about dogs, Megan? I have never met a disloyal dog. Every dog that I've ever owned, that I've ever come in contact with, is just so mindful and present in the current moment, and they're just so happy to be meeting you. And, you know, even the ones who aren't, you just kind of know that they've had some bad experiences, but there's never really like a bad dog. There's bad people, for sure, but there's no bad dogs. No bad dogs. How many dogs do you have? I just have one, but he's my world. My husband don't have kids, but we have a Griff. His name is Gryffindor, and he's our little rescue pup. And honestly, we probably treat him better than a kid. He's living the dream. (laughs) I always said, if reincarnation is real, he wants to come back as a Sutherland dog because those dogs live the life. (laughs) It's bad to the point where Ryan, my husband, and I will go out to dinner and we'll be like, well we really should get something for Griff on the way home or we'll order a box to go or does Griff want ice cream tonight? I think he needs some ice cream. (laughs) Boyle does not even begin to cover my current dog. Even my other siblings and my parents recognize that my love for dogs and my spoiling of my current dog is beyond the typical Sutherland treatment. (laughs) (laughs) He thinks, you know, he's being deprived if he doesn't have people food every day. So Sounds like I need to come back as a Sutherland dog, too. You do. Man, we got the hookup for you. (laughs) (laughs) So kicking us off here, what would your younger self be surprised about your current self? I've actually, it's funny that you ask me this because I feel like I've been reflecting on that or at least reflecting on my younger self lately because I'm reading I'm reading a really good book on trauma responses and everything and part of it is for work but you know of course whenever you read anything you relate it back to yourself for the most part and it had people you know how would you interact with your younger self and how would you change the way that you view your younger self now knowing that you know and things like that and I think my younger self I think would be surprised by the fact that I'm relatively self-assured and confident. And I think that was just something that was so hard for me for such a long time growing up that I never fully felt comfortable in my own skin. And now here I am. And, you know, of course there's always room for improvement and things like that, but I don't feel that I need to fundamentally change myself or my personality or anything. Like I'm really happy with who I am. Um, And I think that's such a complete 180 from when I was younger that I think that would probably surprise the younger Megan the most. Did you do that on purpose or was it just organic with life and growth? 
I think probably a little bit of both. I think most of it kind of came about organically as I grew and learned about other people for sure. But I think, you know, learning more about myself as I grow up and and my reactions to various experiences that I had. And I think there was that moment of awakening that I'm like, I'm just tired of feeling this way. Um, That kind of push was the tipping point. But I think most of it came about organically. That makes sense. I'm familiar with that tipping point. Like, I'm tired of this. This needs to change. And that weird realization of, oh, my gosh, not only can I change, but like I'm in control of what I change and when I change it, how that transformation occurs. It seems so obvious. It seems so, of course, you could change. But when it's like within yourself it feels different. And so that is almost that mini epiphany. Yes. Yes. In the course of time, have you been given feedback that changed how you looked at yourself? Yeah. I mean, I think most feedback that I, we, maybe everybody does this. I don't know. I I guess I can only speak for myself, but I feel like a lot of the feedback that I get informs me and I reflect on it, whether it's like a half a second reflection of they don't know what they're talking about, like, (laughs) or like, wow, that person really did have a great point. Or maybe this came across differently than what I was intending in my brain or something like that. So I do think that there's, you know, of course, always been that feedback that's kind of transformed. I think early in my career, I received some feedback that truly did like transform professionally for me um, and my communication skills and just my ability to, I think, explain my values a little bit more rather than making the assumption that everyone's coming to the table with the same information to inform their values. Um, And I think you see this a lot in at least special education in particular, because I'm a school psychologist. I'm part of that special education team, but that special education team often includes people who don't have a background in special ed, like a general education team who, or a general education teacher who maybe knows the student best, but doesn't understand special education procedures or policies or things like that. And as most people in education in general, but especially in SPED know, we are like constantly bombarded with things that we have to do and a lot of paperwork, and a lot of meetings, and running from one thing to the next. And sometimes it takes a lot of real mindful reflection to be able to go in a little slower and say, let me make sure that everyone's on the same page as to why we're doing it this way. Not just because, oh, the law says that we have to do it this way, but it really does reflect our values as a school or as a team to making sure that you know, so-and-so gets whatever they need or gets it in this particular way versus another way or something like that. So that I think I was so consumed in the beginning of my career with not having enough time for everything that those messages maybe got a little stunted or blunted maybe is a better word. Um, They got blunted in that, okay, we got to go, 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 instead of really taking that time to really look at that you know, everyone's a stakeholder and we got to make sure that everybody's understanding, even if that does mean two steps backwards. 
That makes a lot of sense. And that was hard feedback to hear for sure. But ultimately, I think it's made me better at my job. Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like it would make you better at what you do. I feel like it has. Um, Hopefully my coworkers would say the same things, but um, I feel like it has. I feel like I've definitely grown from the feedback on my communication skills and, and from, you know, what people have more recently told me is that my communication skills are one of my assets. Um, And I think perhaps early career coworkers would find that surprising. (laughs) (laughs) But it also just goes to show that just because it wasn't a strength doesn't mean it can't be. Exactly. He, you always frame the mindset, mindset shift for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're often quick to blow people off. Be like, oh, well, they're not good at that. And not give them the opportunity to receive feedback that's given kindly, even if it's hard to hear, especially if it's hard to hear, given kindly with the opportunity to do something. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like sometimes it was maybe not always delivered super kindly. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure it wasn't. <laughs> but it was, you know, ultimately it was something that I reflected upon and, and informed my practice moving forward. So it's a, yeah, it's a super good point that you make that, you know, we have to allow other people the grace to, have those opportunities instead, you know, pushing it off. Well, I'll get somebody else to do it, or they're just not good at it. You know, it's not that growth mindset, especially that we push so much in education. Yes. We should extend to our colleagues what we extend to our kids. Yes. That's really hard. And if we're not extending it to our kids, we need to do that first. (laughs) Agreed. So kind of in the same vain, but a little bit different. Is there a piece of advice that you've been given anywhere along the way about anything that you're just so glad you didn't follow it? Not one that I've been given directly, but one that I've reflected upon a lot. No, I have been given it directly. There's that song that goes, if you can't be with the one that you love, love the one you're with. Yeah. And in a way that's really terrible advice. In one vein, yes, it's it's be grateful for what you have and, and love that. But in the other vein, like I've stayed in some not terrible relationships, but not for me relationships, because I've heard that all the time. Well, if there's not a reason to break up with them, then stick it out. Or, you know, they're still really nice or whatever. And I think it kind of, I, I followed that and I stayed with someone who is not not the best person for me. He's an amazing person. I still think he's an amazing person, but not the best match for me. And I just kind of feel like, oh, that was a lot of wasted time and energy in those months where I knew it wasn't a good match, but didn't have a reason because, you know, love the one you're with. Them just not being a good match isn't enough of a reason. Apparently in my mind, it was not. That's not singular to you. The other one I, that was given a bad piece of advice was don't become a vegetarian and you'll last only a few weeks. And I've lasted like a really long time. I'm, I'm very solidly okay with being a vegetarian, but apparently some people didn't have faith in, 
in the vegetarian lifestyle. So, but yes, I was told repeatedly, don't do it because meat is so delicious. I am never, never wanted to go back. (laughs) Never had that desire. (laughs) Same. I had the same experience. Like, oh, you know, it's just a phase. Okay. It's a 15 year phase so far. Right. It's like more than half my life now. (laughs) I suppose theoretically I could go back, but statistics, that's that's doubtful. (laughs) So what's your superpower? I think my superpower is empathy. I feel like that's a superpower that continues to grow with the more that I learn. And right now, a big focus of my practice professionally between being a yoga therapist and being a school psychologist is trauma. And once you learn about a little, once you learn even like the tiniest little bit about trauma, you just realize how absolutely widespread it is. And it really allows you to look at things from a different lens, knowing that you're never going to know everything that a person's been through. So be kind. Even in those frustrating, annoying moments when you're dealing with or you're witnessing a Karen in the grocery store or something, you know, those are hard not to make those judgments, but understanding that that empathy of, you know, it could just be a bad day. It could be a lifetime of trauma that's causing them to act that way. And I feel like learning empathy and teaching others empathy can go a really long way in informing the next generation or, you know, even my current generation. The thing about trauma too, besides it being so widespread to me is how many people have experienced traumatic things or have trauma response to things and have no idea that it even exists in them. Yes. I think as a society as a whole, we've, we've normalized a lot of trauma. And I think a lot of people may not be comfortable with that word trauma because I do normalize that experience, whatever they've experienced, whatever, you know, situation they've been put in, whether it was an acute trauma, like a one-time thing or something that was repeated over days or months or years, because I think we've done such a good job of normalizing it that people are like, oh, that's not trauma. And their trauma is so much worse. Trauma is so much more dramatic. Trauma is, you know, this big, crazy, like, thing. Whereas Yeah, it very much could be that. And I think the word trauma is probably a loaded word for a lot of people. And so, you know, if we say, well, what about adverse experiences? What about those negative situations? Then more of those things come out and learn. That's that's what we would actually consider to be trauma. And, And people are really surprised by that. And when you do a lot of introspection and a lot of reflection, you realize how some of those negative experiences that a person might have impact them, impact them in the present day, even if that trauma or those negative experiences have been long since experienced or resolved. I've been doing some trauma work and it's amazing some of the stuff that comes up. And it's stuff that I remember happening, but it's not stuff that I think about. And it's not stuff, I mean, like I could talk to you about it and not have any 
overwhelming feelings. Like I'm not holding back tears talking about this situation, but all kinds of stuff comes up. Yes. And isn't that crazy? I mean, when I was studying to be a yoga therapist, and as most people who study to be a therapist or anything, you have to go through the therapies or the the exercises or whatever to be able to teach it to a potential client. And there were things that I was thinking of when we were going through the trauma units, like, well, I didn't have any trauma. Like, I don't know what I'm going to say. Everybody else seems to have something to say. Like, what am I really going to say? But if you sit with it for a while, there's at least those negative experiences, even if you're not comfortable with that trauma word. I feel like so many of us have those negative experiences, even if they aren't clinically termed as trauma, that going back to that empathy, a little bit of empathy in those situations can help us get through some challenging times with other people. Yes. Yes. I feel like maybe if we, on the grand scale, understood that toxic masculinity is traumatic for the men, Mm -hmm. it could help resolve some problems. Absolutely. I think there's so many things that not only have we normalized trauma in our culture, but things that we celebrate as a culture can be toxic in and of itself. Toxic masculinity being, you know, a major, major one, boys don't cry, suck it up, be a man, those kinds of things. That's such harmful language alone that when you really think about it and think about the impact that that could have, of course, on women, yes, girls can't throw, girls can't run or whatever, women belong in the kitchen. We know that that language is harmful. But when we flip it over and think about how that's impacting men and boys, we don't have those same conversations as a whole, as a whole society. And I think that's a huge disservice to almost half the population, you know? Yes. Agreed. hundred percent. So now that we have solved the world's problems here. Done. Check it off the list. (laughs) What is something about you that you wish people knew? And it could be like, I wish people that I know knew this thing. Or it could be like, you know, when I'm walking through the grocery store, I wish people knew this thing. You're really asking the tough questions now. (laughs) Maybe this is a cop-out answer because I feel like maybe everybody feels this way. But I hope that everyone has faith and knowledge that I'm trying my best. I'm always doing my best. Um, And maybe that's the way everybody wants to be perceived and and understood. But I like to think that I'm always at least trying my best. Well, that completely ties into what you were just talking about. Combining the things that you were just talking about and your assessment that your answer to that question may have been a cop-out because maybe everybody feels like that. Maybe everybody needs some empathy. Absolutely. If you had to be famous for something, what would you want to be famous for? And it could be like large scale Kardashian famous or niche famous. Doesn't matter. So this is going to go completely in a different direction than most of my other answers. But I've always wished I could be able to sing. I am so tone deaf. 
I cannot sing for the life of me, but I would love to be able to sing. And sure, if I get to be famous from that, cool. Like, I'm sure there are a lot of perks that come with being able to sing very well enough to become famous. And hopefully it's the good famous and not like Rebecca Black having a terrible song. (laughs) So I'm hoping the good kind of singing. I'm just going to throw out there two things. One, you're not tone deaf, probably. Can you hear the difference between songs? Yes. Then you're not tone deaf. Can I produce the sound, the differences? Probably not. But that's a different thing. Okay. But if you can hear them. Yes, I can hear them. Then you're not tone deaf. Okay. So what's the appropriate term that I'm looking for? Just that you can't match pitch, maybe? Oh, yeah, I definitely can't do that. But that that's a skill. It's That's a learnable skill. Hmm. I'll reflect on that one later. <laughs> a learnable skill. I could still become famous for this. Even if you don't become famous, you could learn to sing. That's true. And isn't that the goal? So I'm just going to plant that seed for you. There you go. So do you have a question you'd like me to ask the next person? I would like to know what people think that if they could change one small thing about the world, what would it be? Or what would the one small thing that they would change about something in their everyday lives and how that might impact on a larger scale? And the reason I think about this is because uh, I was reading online somewhere. So this is not an original thought, but I can't tell you where I read it. People always say like, oh, the little things that they're not going to really make that much of a difference. Like, how can I make a difference in the world? But then when you think about, oh, well, time travel. And if you go back in time or if you like and change one thing, that's going to mess up everything. It's going to have these long reaching implications. And people don't really those those ideas don't necessarily jive with each other. We all we all know that if we go back in time and we mess up one thing, it could have catastrophic implications. But in the present moment, we don't always think about how just changing one thing, even just one day of one thing, can really impact the world around us. That's fantastic. I love that. The last person wanted to know, how do you take care of yourself and keep your joy when everything is pushing towards fear? Wow, that is a great question. I don't think I have a a singular answer. My knee-jerk reaction is murder shows. I do love true crime, and they're a great way to relax. I know it's very counterintuitive, but I do love me some murder shows. More consistently, those in-the-moment self-care skills, like focusing on your breathing. It's been something that has been so critical for me and especially becoming aware of my body in space. And what I mean by that is making sure, is my jaw unclenched? Is my forehead unfurrowed? Where are my shoulders in relation to my ear? You know, what is my spinal posture, you know, communicating to others? Because a lot of the times what your body is doing is communicating a certain emotion or feeling or stress hormone to your brain and changing those little things and becoming mindful of changing those things over time can make a huge impact. But also the deep breathing can have a a pretty immediate impact sometimes. Beautiful. I have definitely noticed 
that noticing my jaw makes a huge difference. And if my jaw is clenched and I release it, my whole body relaxes. For me, it's definitely my shoulders. My shoulders when I'm stressed will slowly, slowly creep up until I don't even notice anymore. And then I try and raise my shoulders and they have nowhere to go. (laughs) Definitely my shoulders. But most often if my shoulders are up, my jaw is clenched as well. I I have very physical reactions to stress. Me too. Probably everybody. Probably. And it just takes a certain, you know, habit of mindfulness and, and awareness to tap into that. It has been so much fun talking to you. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. This has been fun. Thanks for listening. Ordinary Chaos is written, produced, edited, and all the things by me, he. The music was created by Keith Kelly. You can find show notes and learn more about the podcast, about Keith, or about me at ordinarychaospodcast.com. As always, Ordinary Chaos is an ad-free podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast... Go to OrdinaryChaosPodcast.com, scroll down, and click Support the Podcast. I was going to say something and I forgot what it was. It's because I'm such a good listener. (laughs) Super power. (laughs) Can you edit that out? Are you able to edit that out or you want me to put them in another? Or we can just leave it there because you talked about having a dog at the front end. (laughs) 